You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLeggi. What are some of the newer bariatric endoscopic procedures, and when are these procedures preferred over traditional gastric bypass surgery? Joining us to discuss endoscopic and surgical procedures for treating obesity is Dr. Michael Camilleri, Professor of Medicine in Physiology and the Atherton and Winifred W. Bean Professor at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, Dr. Camilleri. Thank you. Michael, we all know now that obesity is just an outrageous problem for the U.S., in fact, the world, and there's different ways to approach this. But from your perspective, what are the classical operations for treating obesity? Well, the classical operations have involved either reductions in the ability of the stomach to relax after a meal and therefore resulting in a feeling of fullness, or they have involved rerouting food so that the body cannot absorb all the calories that are eaten. What about the risk-benefits of procedures? Because I've heard names such as Roux-en-Y gastric bypass or banding or duodenal switch. Okay, so those are all the classical operations. Let's start with the simplest. The simplest operation is a laparoscopic banding in which a device is placed around the top part of the stomach and it can be constricted just like a band in order to prevent the stomach from expanding as it normally does after a meal. That's the laparoscopic banding, and it is a relatively safe procedure. However, the long-term effects of laparoscopic banding are currently being re-evaluated, and it has been found in several studies that the amount of weight loss and the improvement in obesity and its complications from, for example, diabetes are not as good in subsequent years as they were initially. So that's the simplest. It is the safest. It can be done laparoscopically, but we're not completely confident that it is a long-term benefit in many patients. On the other hand, there are operations like the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass and the duodenal switch procedure. So let me try to explain these two procedures to you. In the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, the top part of the stomach, literally a small cuff below the swallowing tube, which is the esophagus, is separated off and a loop of intestine, the small intestine that is, is brought up to the top part of the stomach in order to bypass food. So what happens is two things. First of all, food coming into the stomach finds only a small reservoir and therefore patients feel fairly full after they eat. The rest of the stomach is literally bypassed. And then the food gets into the intestine and depending upon the way the operation is done, it takes a long time for the digestive juices that are coming from the liver and the pancreas and the gallbladder to reach the food. And therefore, food may not be properly absorbed by the intestine. And when it gets down into the colon, it can cause diarrhea or the food 
is not sufficiently broken down for the body to extract the calories. So it's kind of a combination procedure then, meaning Absolutely. the fullness and the malabsorption. Correct. It's a smaller stomach, and therefore it's called a restrictive operation, and it's a malabsorptive operation because the food cannot be absorbed from the intestine since the juices required for digestion are always trying to catch up with the food but never quite make it. Now, the third procedure is a little bit more complicated, and this is the duodenal switch, and it involves making the stomach smaller, just like the stomach is changed from being like a wide bottle, it's made into more of a sleeve or a pipe. And then, apart from that part, the digestive juices are diverted down towards the lowest part of the small intestine, so that, again, you have this mismatch between the ability to absorb food because it's well digested and the reduction in size of the stomach, which, again, makes the reservoir smaller. So, Ruan Y and Duodenal Switch both have two components. They have a smaller reservoir and they also have a malabsorptive component. Now, they are more effective and, in fact, the very famous Swedish obesity surgery study of Ruan Y gastric bypass patients has now been followed up for more than 12 years and continues to show the beneficial effects on obesity, body mass index, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, etc. So it's a very effective procedure. The problem is that even in the best hands, there are complications from the more complex operations are being done. And so there are some patients who obviously start off at higher risk because they are a higher weight and sometimes they have some complications like high blood pressure and diabetes. There are some people who actually die from the procedures like the duodenal switch or the Ruan Y gastric bypass. But there's also about a 4 or 5% chance that there could be a leak from one of the places where the surgeons are putting back together the rerouting of food through the intestine. So the plumbing can be a little bit suspect because, again, healing might not be ideal in patients who have general illnesses, including high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. So there is a small risk of dying in these operations, but there's also about a 4 or 5% risk that there is a leak from one of the sites where the surgeon is putting the intestine back together again. And because of those complications, then you have longer hospital stay, abscesses forming in the abdomen, infections in the abdomen, formation of adhesions with obstruction. And as people spend longer time in hospital, then they are more likely to develop complications from being in bed, like venous thrombosis in the legs and pulmonary embolism, where clots move from the legs into the lungs. I've heard about kind of a newer procedure, maybe it's just new to me, the sleeve gastrectomy. Is that something the surgeons are using now? Well, that's a, a very interesting question because, remember, the sleeve gastrectomy was actually part of the duodenal switch procedure. You'll recall when I said that the stomach in the duodenal switch procedure is made into a pipe or like a sleeve so that its size is made smaller. Now, there's really interesting information being published in the last three years to suggest that the first part of that duodenal switch operation, which is just the sleeve gastrectomy, 
is associated with some very significant beneficial effects on weight, on diabetes, on cholesterol and high blood pressure. And this operation is really much simpler than the other two operations that we mentioned, Ruan-Y gastric bypass and duodenal switch, because it does not involve the rerouting of food. So food is swallowed through the esophagus, gets into the stomach. Now the stomach is more like a sleeve than a big bottle, and it then passes through the lower end of the stomach, or the pylorus, straight into the small intestine, where food can meet with the bile and pancreatic juices that are necessary for absorption. So this is really a restrictive procedure. It is associated with a small amount of malabsorption because when we empty food rapidly from the stomach, there is an element of malabsorption that occurs. So we're seeing that at one and three years after sleeve gastrectomy, the rates of weight loss and improvement of diabetes almost approximates that of the Ruan-Y gastric bypass. I've been hearing a lot now about a different take on the treatment of obesity, transoral gastroplasty. Can you tell me something about that? In some respects, the transoral gastroplasty is a more limited form of sleeve operation because what's done there is that while the sleeve gastrectomy separates off the lesser curve of the stomach in a tube and therefore the rest of the stomach is cut out and discarded, the transorogastroplasty is an operation that's done in part through the mouth and hence the word transoral and then the separation of a channel is made such that the top part of the stomach is much restricted in size but the lowermost part of the stomach which is the part that breaks down solid food is still almost intact. Now, transorogastroplasty has received a lot of press recently, and we still need to have longer-term effects assessed. So, at the present time, it's still an experimental procedure, as in fact is the sleeve gastrectomy, but there are far more patients reported and safety of the operation reported with sleeve gastrectomy than I have been able to find on the transorogastroplasty. You know, I have to ask the question regarding gastroenterologists. For the sleeve gastrectomy, I, you know, I know that's a surgical procedure. How about for the transoral gastroplasty, the reports that have been coming out? Are these being done by gastroenterologists or by surgeons? At the present time, it is my understanding that they are still being done by surgeons. However, the differentiation between endoscopic gastroenterologists who dedicate their time and become sufficiently trained to do these trans-endoscopic procedures and their differentiation from surgeons is becoming more and more blurred. And in fact, there are some institutions and hospitals where there is strong collaboration between endoscopic surgeons, either those that go through the abdominal wall and therefore they're doing laparoscopy, and endoscopic surgeons who are board certified in gastroenterology who actually are attempting to do the same types of operations through the mouth. It still has to be proven that it makes sufficient sense and that the operations can be done as safely as can be done by the surgeons. There is certainly a lot of work being done to train and also to acquire the skills to make sure that these procedures can be done safely. 
I remember back in the 80s in the U.S., we had an endoscopic balloon that was being used for a while and was pulled off the market. But I do know that internationally, endoscopic balloons have been used for many years. Are there some new endoscopic balloons or are they being used to treat obesity? There are some new endoscopic balloons. Again, we need to emphasize the point that none of them are currently approved for use in the United States. However, there are trials being done with a balloon, for instance, that's manufactured by a French company, and that is placed at a laparoscopy into the upper part of the stomach. And this balloon works to take over the space where food would normally sit in the stomach. The slight difference from the balloons that were placed in the 1980s is that, first of all, these are placed and secured by means of a small operation. And secondly, I think the materials of which the balloon is made has changed since the technology has changed significantly since the mid-1980s. One of the problems with the balloons that were placed in the mid-1980s was migration of the balloons, which had resulted in obstruction of the intestine, whereas the current balloons, which are, as I said, are being placed in Europe, I think there are also some initial studies in the United States with these same balloons. Their location in the upper part of the stomach is being secured to make sure that they do not migrate and cause obstruction. I'd like to thank my guests from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, Dr. Michael Camilleri. Dr. Camilleri, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Update your clinical knowledge and improve your delivery of patient care by registering for the 2011 AGA Clinical Congress. Learn from renowned gastroenterologists providing a comprehensive and current review of the field's most pressing clinical topics. This year's Congress will be in Miami on January 14th and 15th and features a practice management course, a hands-on endoscopy course on Barrett's esophagus, and a practice skills workshop for fellows and young GIs. Learn more at www.gastro.org slash clinical congress. The American Gastroenterological Society was founded in 1897 and today is the largest GI society in the United States. Our members are physicians and scientists at the leading edge of researching, diagnosing, and treating disorders of the gastrointestinal tract and liver. The AGA is known for advancing both the science and practice of gastroenterology. Discover what the AGA could mean to you. Visit www.gastro.org.